What's up, everyone? My name is Stephanie, and you're listening to Every Story Written, where we redeem literature through critical thinking and love of the truth. So today, I have the immense privilege of welcoming word lover and linguist extraordinaire, Ellie, to the podcast. So Ellie, can you please introduce yourself and tell the people what you're up to? Well, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I am Ellie. <laughs> I grew up in Bellingham, Washington, um, up in the very northwest corner of the states, and um, went down to master's college slash university for my undergraduate degree in English, which is where I met Stephanie. And then a few years later, I um, I started taking classes during 2020, so all online, um, at the Canada Institute of Linguistics, which is um, just north of Bellingham in Langley, BC. And um, I completed my master's in April of last year. Um, and that's just a master's in linguistics. So um, learned to do field work and analysis to understand languages that haven't been described um, previously. Very cool. That <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Uh, can you tell us where who you're serving with right now? Right. Um, so since December, I've been uh, a quote unquote intern with Pioneer Bible Translators. Um, I'm kind of currently scheduled to do about one year of work that could be uh, extended up to two years. Um, and I'm serving with a Bible translation project um, for the Banyu Malenge people who speak the language Kenya Malenge. Very cool. My next question for you is, for you is can you explain to us how language works? Like it's simple, right? Like words just come out of your mouth and somebody just answers. It's it's, it's easy, right? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's how language works is such a massive question. Um, there are lots of theories of what communication even is. Um, for instance, like in English and in many languages, we kind of talk about communication in metaphors of like a package. Um, it's like, did you get my meeting? Did it come across? Um, we those are the like the metaphors that we use to talk about language, which is of course also a function of language. Um, but the the point is that output comes from the speaker, and the hearer gets an input, and they get something from that. Again, I'm saying get as if it's a a thing to be received, but um it's a it's a pretty <laughs> crazy thing to once you start thinking about it but um as one theory would put it um and this theory is called relevance theory it's um guiding a lot of modern bible translators um at least in part and uh i took lots of notes about relevance theory <laughs> relevance theory leads translators to this goal that a translation should have the same effect on the hearer's cognitive environment as the original message. Um, so that you need to consider context. So if we're talking about communication in one language, not worrying about translation, um, relevance theory would say that 
the speaker expresses a message in a specific way so that the audience will understand the meaning, knowing that the audience expects they can understand the message and they'll make assumptions, often subconsciously, to get the meaning of the message. Um, that almost sounds like very obvious, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's a specific way of thinking about language. Um, those assumptions that we make are based on the context that we're in. Uh, so the physical and the social, and also our minds, our mental context. Uh, sometimes it's as simple of an assumption as what a, a pronoun means. If you arrive at a party and say, I came from the store, it was busy, uh, the hearer knows that it is the store. You also know what sense of a word is in play. Um, for instance, if I said it was busy, I meant many customers, not that the store had lots of obligations that they needed to attend to. And if I just got to the party late, you're also understanding that I'm giving an explanation for why I'm late. Um, if I wanted to cancel an assumption, such as the fact that maybe I bought something, I would have to say that because otherwise you're going to assume I went to the store and I bought something. Um, so it's my responsibility to say something like, you know, but I didn't end up getting anything because it was so busy. Um, so all of this rests on the, this, I mean, kind of a social contract, contract idea that whatever I'm saying, I expect you to understand based on what I'm giving you and the assumptions I think you'll make. Wow. And if I don't want you to make those assumptions, I've got to say, I've got to cancel that somehow. And that's why I would give more information. So why is it called relevance theory? Um, relevance is defined in this sense as the most relevant sentence is the first one I would, um, or it's the first one I said, if I want you to make all of the assumptions I would expect you to make from it. Essentially, I want to say as little as possible um, to produce the most assumptions possible. Unless I don't want you to make those assumptions, <laughs> then I need to add more or say something different. Um, every time that you take in language input, you're making tons of inferences about each word, sentence, conversation, and the whole discussion. And those are the cognitive effects. Um, is that making sense? <laughs> I yes. Can go on. I, I, so basically, language is just built on layers and layers of assumption. And the more data you give, the less the hearer has to assume, or just like normal sentences that we might say to each other they seem so easy and they seem like you just, they go in your ear and you've collected information and it goes out. But what you're saying is that there's a whole world of underlying assumptions based on our experience, our language, our, our interaction, our relationship with the person. And um, wow, I'm already blown away. This is good. I mean, yeah, if you think about any new language that you're learning, Think about how much harder it is to to get the meaning and how much you miss you realize later if you keep learning like wow i didn't really understand what was going on like i thought i thought i knew what that sentence said or whatever but you're missing so much of the context um and yeah i mean 
it's real easy in your own language, but as soon as you start to mess up with a signal, uh, you've got a whole, you're, you're missing a lot of the basis for your assumptions. So then how do you make assumptions? Um, I mean, so language is like, language input, as we say, is a kind of stimulus. And like, we think logically, everyone has, you know, some amount of logic in them. So any, <laughs> any stimulus, uh, is going to produce cognitive effects, assumptions. So even if you see rain falling or you feel pain, there's some thought that's some, some effect happens in your mind. Like, wow, I'm in pain, something's wrong or, oh, it's raining. Um, and if you're consciously thinking about it, you're going to have even more cognitive effects. But when I see and feel water falling on me from the sky, I in automatically know, oh, it's raining. Like, I don't, I don't have to think about it. I don't like, I know what is happening, but, uh, and that might cause effect, other effects. Like I might be happy or sad about it. I might consider changing my plans. I might start taking out an umbrella. Um, and that's because my, my cognitive environment has changed. Um, but if there's no clouds in the sky and I'm standing in the middle of a garden, I feel rain falling on me. I'm not gonna think, oh, it's raining. I'm gonna think, oh, the sprinkler's turned on. And so in that case, I might be like frustrated that no one told me that the sprinklers were about to come on or um, running out of the way immediately. Um, so your input, the, the stimulus that you're receiving, plus the context, whether it's your physical environment, your social environment, um, your your mental environment, like how you're feeling and thinking, um, and what you know, because what you know is especially important, that produces cognitive effects, and that's how we communicate. So it's not that a message is like somehow actually being sent from one person to another through telepathy, right? The reason that we say something is to produce a stimulus that for the other person produces cognitive effects wow and that's why just saying like a, a, a sympathetic sound can somehow make someone feel better because they're like oh they they care about me they're showing me that or maybe it makes them feel sad that you pity them or you know whatever the social environment is and however you're feeling all of that like that's how we miscommunicate too because sometimes we make assumptions about how people are feeling or about what they know and if they don't match up, they're going to come to the wrong cognitive effects. And that's, that's a miscommunication. Wow. That was, that was great. Thank you, Ellie. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I never really thought of language as a input cognitive exchange. And you just said it way better than I could. Yeah. Uh, um, do you have more on this thread? Because otherwise I was going to, it'd be fun to talk about like the building blocks of language, like phonetics sure. and morphemes. And let's just, sure. let's just dive in for all those nerds out there. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to start at the input, that's going to be sound. And written language is not natural language. Written language is all arbitrary. We decide, you know, I guess all language is arbitrary. Written language is artificial. Um, what? You got to explain that to me. Never in a sense, that. because when you, when you speak, people understand each other. As soon as they've learned the language, they understand each other. 
it doesn't take any special training. It doesn't take, um, especially like if we're talking childhood language acquisition, like you're not, this isn't a second language. Like a baby just learns to speak, but kids do not just learn to read. You have to show them this picture means this sound. And in a lot of, well, not as many languages, but some of us unlucky languages like English, it's very inconsistent what letter makes what sound. Um, and that's a whole other topic, but uh, you have to teach reading because it's a, it's a system that we essentially made to record language before we could you know, do an audio, audio recording. Um, and when you're reading, you're just changing these pictures into sounds in your head, especially when you're learning. Um, that's why we teach kids to sound things out. But um, so as far as input of natural language, just speaking, it's, uh, we start at phonetics, which is all of the sounds that actually come out of our mouths. Um, there are like, if you've seen International Phonetic Alphabet, IPA. Um, I actually, it, yeah, I researched this and yeah. I was like, this this is above me. <laughs> These are Greek letters coming in and- The, the whole, wild. my one of my first classes I took, which was like just a prereq for my master's actually, it's just like an undergraduate level class, but it was, we went through essentially every single sound that any human language makes. Um, and it's, you know, over a hundred sounds. <laughs> and yeah. then that's just the basic. You can usually alter them in some way too, like adding aspiration or um, tones on vowels, uh, making vowels longer, making other, using stress. So um, there's a lot that goes into describing the way a language actually sounds. Um, morphosyntax, oh, um, sometimes, some sometimes we talk about morphology and syntax as two separate parts. Um, the, uh, the training I did, we talk about them as one thing because, I mean, in some languages, really, uh, whole sentences can be one word. Um, so at that point, why talk about syntax when we don't have, you know, multiple words? Um, so morphology is how words come together, and syntax is how you put words together in a sentence. So um, essentially, uh, morphosyntax is looking at meaningful um, meaningful sequences of sounds. So phonology looks at meaningful sounds, and then morphosyntax looks at meaningful sequences of sounds where you hear uh, re at the beginning of an English word, you think, oh, that has something to do with going back or doing again. Um, and that's a morpheme that has meaning. Um, in some languages, we have a lot more uh, heavy morpheme usage. Um, the language I'm working on right now, Kinyamalenge, uh, the verb carries like mo a lot of information. Um, it can have multiple tense and aspect markers on it. It can have a subject and an object and another object in it. In the verb? Yeah. Wow. It can also carry things like uh, a morpheme that kind of means like reciprocal. So 
that could be either to each other or with each other. Um, it could also have, there are just like morphemes that mean like a lot or something that can kind of go in there that are like emphasis morphemes. Um, I think there's probably like maybe eight or nine slots like that could be filled besides the root of the verb. Wow. Um, and so some of those change, um, you know, we talk about like derivational morphology, which can change um, a noun to a verb or a verb to a noun or an adjective to a verb or however you want to do it. Um, and then inflectional morphology is what makes the verb or the noun or the adjective fit correctly in the sentence, makes it grammatical. Um, so that might be like using a feminine or a masculine uh, ending on something so that like in Spanish is probably what most English speakers are or Americans are more familiar with is like, uh, if the noun is feminine, then all of the adjectives need to end in the feminine ending instead of the masculine ending. That's inflectional. Actually, I guess even just plural. Um, when we, again, in English, our morphology is very bare. Like we have, I walked, you walked, he walked, they walked, we walked. They all have the same ending for the past tense. Um, if we look at, I am walking, you are walking, he is walking, we see a little bit more exciting morphology happening, although that's kind of syntax <laughs> in that sense. So morphosyntax, we'll say. Um, but a lot of verbs or a lot of languages, you're gonna have to add a morpheme for each of those. Um, verbs that says I I walked you you walked like that signifies on the verb that it matches I or you or he um wow there's, there's like I don't know it's <laughs> like this is a whole you know five classes and I haven't taken three of them so right. <laughs> there's uh too much to say but semantics is kind of the next step after morphosyntax. That's um, kind of what is what is the meaning of words in a sem uh, simple sense. Um, and then there's pragmatics, which is what is the meaning of words in context. And really, again, you can combine those, especially from a relevance theory perspective, um, because the context is essential to knowing what it means. Um, people might talk about like semantics being maybe a little more of like a, I don't know, like a dictionary definition of like, this is what this word means. But we all know that in, in another, actually just, even if it's still, yes, that's the same meaning of the word, it has different connotations in different contexts, in different sentences. Um, like said with a different tone of voice, like yeah. all of that can play into um, the pragmatic meaning, which is what does it kind of really mean? <laughs> like somebody says, "Oh, your your baby is an angel." Like the literal definition of angel is mm -hmm. a created being in the heavenly realm, um, and yeah. not your baby is not is your baby's a human, not an angel. Your baby, but... your baby is good, is what they mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so that would that would be a good example of kind of the semantics pragmatics. Um, yeah. 
for sure. Um, and then I guess the next level would be discourse, which is discourse is looking at a larger text than like one sentence. Um, so how do sentences fit together? Um, it may be, you know, one person talking or writing, but it could be a conversation. Um, it could be an entire topic of like, this is the discourse of linguistics. And how do we, you know, how does, how has that gone on over the millennia? Um, so discourse analysis looks at how do people signal moves between ideas? How do they talk? How, how do they narrate a story? Um, how do they, I don't know, exhort each other or pray or um, like larger concepts beyond a single sentence? Um, yeah, and then like we said, there's also the whole sense of literacy is like an entire other section of um, linguistics and language that kind of tends to tie in, especially with Bible translation, but how do you teach people to read and develop an alphabet if that needs to be done that works for them. And wow. that kind of is gonna get looped in with most of the other topics. Wow, so language and speaking is kind of like an ecosystem where you have your building blocks of like, here's a stone, here's a tree, and then those build together and make like a pathway. And then it's just like alive. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's that's really incredible. It is a system, and that's um, that's why, like, you may have heard if you've ever talked about um, talked with anyone about like teaching language. Um, they often talk about like we need to teach culture as part of language, and um, and you need to look at not only vocabulary, but like how do sentences come together, and then how do you respond to sentences and how like and how do you he can you hear the language being spoken not just produce it all of those things because really language is a system um it has to do with like if you don't really understand what the words mean to people then you can't actually communicate because you don't you're not um you can't be pragmatic <laughs> in a sense you're you're stopping at that level so you're going to be limited. Wow. It, and with the evolution of language, like the word gay today does not mean what it meant like 100 years ago. Um, <laughs> and just how so much changes and everything is relative and we make so much assumptions. It's so many assumptions. Uh, it's amazing to me how God is still able, able to communicate what he wants to us in his word mm -hmm. throughout the centuries, throughout different cultures, through, um, throughout different languages, throughout different individuals. It's just with the more you talk, the more in awe I am of how incredibly complex language is and how it, it should take a massive, well, brains are kind of massive computers that God has made. It should take so much um, to, to be able to just come to a simple thought yet how easily we do um and that's a testimony to just how creative god is and how he's the perfect communicator and he upholds his word and yeah thank you thank you for sharing absolutely um i guess oh did you have any more on 
we could go for hours. No, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I should stop. Yeah, <laughs> if you have a, any specific questions, feel free. But uh, I guess my next question then is, I've heard it said that words don't have meaning. Meaning has words. Uh, and I guess we discussed that a little bit uh, um, above, but dig into that more. I, what we've already discussed has, does definitely come into that. So that's hopefully a helpful starting place. But um, what's interesting is typically linguists say that like the meaning is rarely if ever like 100% transmitted from one person to the other. Wow. In the sense that like what the person who spoke it said is rarely going to be 100%, you know, have all of the correct cognitive effects for the other person because that they can't know exactly what's in their mind. Um, they can't know all of the experiences they've had and all of the, you know, emotional turmoil that's going on in their mind and exactly what they can see with their eyes right now because we're not in each other's heads. That's why we have language is so that we can, you know, get into each other's heads in a sense. Um, because we all have different personal contexts, which is our, our personality type, our background, our education, our emotional state, we don't really know exactly what the other person means. Um, it's, not, it's not mind reading. Um, so we just, we only hear in a sense what those signals produce in our minds. And that's why, I've, I've become a little more sensitive, I think, to, like, I, I love words. And when I was, I mean, going through high school, probably, and, and on, it was like, yes, I love words, because if we're really, really precise, we can say, you know, people can understand our meaning. And if they don't get it, it's because they didn't know what the words meant, or, you know, whatever it is. But that's really not true. <laughs> because, um, because we aren't, because of what I said, um, if we're not cautious with our words and actually thinking about what other people are getting from them as well as we can, then we can't um, we can't just put it off on the the hearer as like they didn't do it right, um, or you know they they're not using the the dictionary definition of this word they're understanding it a different way. Like that's just a, a silly way to think because that's not how language works. Language isn't actually tied to what the dictionary says it means. The dictionary is reflecting what people, how the people are using language. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's why dictionaries get updated yearly is because language is always changing. Um, who knew that like the word the name Karen would be like such an insult today. <laughs> like that, Poor Karen's out there. We love the Karen's in the dictionary. I'm not sure yet, but <laughs> like that's that's just a name, you know. And somehow okay. it's come to have this entire other meaning. And um, and depending on who you're talking to, some people might take pride in it, and other people think it's the worst thing in the world. So there's um. It's just, it's irresponsible to say like, this is the dictionary definition of the word. It shouldn't change. People shouldn't be, you know, they shouldn't be offended if I say this because it's, because it, it means what it means to people. 
I mean, that doesn't make it always easy, <laughs> but it is, um, we can't be surprised if what we say gets misunderstood um, because we're, we're imperfect. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Ellie. Uh, my next question is, how does language glorify God and how should we steward our language? And I'll let you kick this one off. Okay. Um, so for one, I mean, language is an essential part of knowing God in any way. Um, like we, we can know him through creation to an extent. We have like general revelation through creation and his common graces, but there's special revelation and that is the word of God. Like that's kind of basic, like, you know, theological, like terminology is that the special revelation and the only way that we can actually know the lord is through hearing his word um someone has to speak someone has to hear um and he he gave us that word in fact jesus is the ultimate word to us like looking at jesus is the clearest picture we have of who god is because we can understand him as a human um and because he demonstrated all of his perfection to us. Um, and it's really interesting that God calls Jesus the word. Like that is the way that we can understand him is by knowing his word and knowing Jesus as the word. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really clear way of saying that like Jesus is the only way to the father because he is the word, um, which is language. Like, clearly language is important to God. Like, God is a, a language user. He speaks to all these people in the Old Testament, to Adam and Eve, to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, the prophets, and the people through the prophets. And, I mean, other random people, too. Um, and sometimes, like, through a donkey, if you really wanted to make his, his point. And um, so he connects with us through language so he had to make us to speak um i i guess i'm sure there would have been some other way that he could have communicated who he was to us um although i don't i don't know if we would call it communication then but <laughs> like he made us language users because he is a language user and um it's our essential way of relating to him and to others in any deep way like if you can't speak to anyone, if you've ever been in a place where no one speaks your language at all, like it's it's a completely isolating experience. Um, and if you if we had to live our whole lives that way without talking to each other, we would miss out on so much. Um, so it's also seems to be like how we can actually think and reason deeply. Um, like there, there's only so much you can do. Again, it's hard to imagine not speaking a, any language, but if you think about it, like in terms of a second language you've learned a little bit of, you can't like do theoretical physics in that language or like <laughs> deep philosophy or something. You have to, you have to um, know a language well in order to really think at all. If that makes, I'm obviously there are the very basic instincts and assumptions that you make, but to think deeply, um, it distinguishes humans from all other people, or people, animals, 
um, all other creatures. Because um, despite all those cute videos of like dogs speaking through their crazy like language mats and stuff, like humans are the only creatures that have creative, recursive, which means it comes back on itself, um, implicit, like figurative use of language, all of these things like no other creature has. And I think that that is something that specifically is like, I don't know, a, a manifestation of like the breath of God that is specific mm -hmm. to us. Um, and part of the reason that we are the, the crown of creation is because we're, we're more like God in that sense. Yeah, that um, just super yeah. quick to jump onto that. Uh, I think it's beautiful that in Genesis one, like God spoke the world into existence mm -hmm. in the magician's nephew by CS Lewis. There's this stunning, hauntingly beautiful scene where Aslan just sings and the earth uh, become, it becomes green and alive. And this dead land is filled uh, and there's light and life. Uh, and it's so beautiful to imagine, but I just don't think it has the same weight of God speaking. God said there was light, let there be light. And there was light uh, because now these words that God has spoken, he, uh, like you said that um, giving the input, there was a response. Uh, mm -hmm. He could have just thought it, but he said, whatever language he spoke in, it'd be cool if he spoke in Hebrew, but he said, let there be light. Um, and, and the light obeyed. And then when God speaks his commandments later to the man that he had spoken, <laughs> he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And because of that, those words, which God had spoken and um, that he had created man's ears and minds to be able to, to hear that now they are accountable to those words and not just this undefined feeling of, Hey, we should probably fill the, the earth and be fruitful uh, so the authority of God's speaking the world into existence means that uh, our response, we are accountable with our actions um, to how to respond to those specific commands. Yeah, and yeah, that's very well said. <laughs> uh, so now, I mean, unless you had more, what, what about stewarding? How, what should our response then be with language? I mean to use it as a tool. I think, I, I, I believe that like truly the mere use of language has to glorify its creator mm -hmm. because it shows what he can do, what, what he created. Um, as people work on AI and all of these things, like they're just trying to recreate what God already created. It's mm -hmm. not like AI language is somehow going to surpass human language. I was it's, hoping you'd bring up AI. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Very controversial I, topic right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's obviously there are ways that it can be used for good and ways that it can be used for evil, just like language. Um, but it's it, it can't be bettered. Language can't be bettered. Mm -hmm. Like it is incredibly complex, and anything that they do is only going to be a recreation of what God has done. And so like, I mean, AI learns from humans. It doesn't just like, it doesn't make up its own language. I guess it could, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure if someone's working on trying to make it make its own language, but that would just be a bunch of computers talking to each other. So like, what would the point be? They already do that. 
Um, so I guess I, I would say, I did say earlier, you know, we, we can be responsible users of language by, by thinking, I guess, like empathetically in a way of, of putting ourselves in the speakers um, or the listeners, our audiences place a little more consciously and trying to do the best we can by them um, to, to communicate cognitive effects <laughs> and not to miscommunicate, I guess. But also, I don't want to put that much pressure on just talking to people, obviously. Okay. I, I think that talking is good and we shouldn't be stressing about it. Um, but maybe a better sense is the fact that when we do miscommunicate, to be understanding, um, to be gracious, to realize that we misunderstand people all the time. And so it's okay if other people misunderstand us. Um, almost the sense that like, because this is such a magnificent, but uh, dependent on so many factors tool, like just loving the fact that we can speak and we can talk to each other. We can understand each other and grow to know and love each other and learn from each other and being okay with the fact that it's not always perfect because because we're limited <laughs> in this state. I don't know, maybe that's part of how, uh, how all tribes and tongues come together. Maybe eventually we can all just understand each other perfectly no matter what language we're speaking. <laughs> um, but we do not understand each other perfectly now. And so I think even understanding that like, you're never being perfectly understood is helpful. I, I have, a, have trouble feeling like people don't understand me. Um, it's, it's painful for me to feel like I'm being misunderstood, like, and whether that's like my feelings are misunderstood or like literally my, my words are misunderstood, but it's, it's helpful to know that I'm never being understood perfectly. <laughs> Takes <laughs> like, the pressure off. Huh? And somehow it all works out. Like right, people, right. people don't usually understand me a hundred percent. So like, if things are going okay, like it's all right if I'm not perfectly clear or um if there's a bad assumption made or something like we can we can try to avoid that um but we really do that naturally in many cases um sometimes maybe it's just laziness that we don't but right no this is super helpful uh then it comes to the life application stuff uh <laughs> just just to shoot shoot down or uh, what do you call it bullet point a few verses that talk about the tongue james three of course just uh, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. Like how how great a forest is set a, uh, a flame by such a small fire. Like Proverbs eighteen, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, I mean, there's the Bible is just full of the tongue. <laughs> I I think it's like one of the most common things that's spoken about is the way we oh, talk wow. or something like that. I feel oh, like I've heard yeah. that before. Maybe that is just totally like nonsense but I feel like it's one of those things that it's like yeah actually God talks about the way you talk to people all the time all which, the time and I mean I you know people talk about the James verse like as if it's a you know a command to control your tongue but 
the whole point is that you can't right, like, right. that's that's what it's saying is I mean yes obviously try to speak speak truth and life and love but you you can't and I think what's interesting is that really is saying like sometimes you say something and it sets a fire it maybe it's sparking something in someone else's brain and you never expected it maybe mm. you didn't know it was going to hurt them or you didn't know it was going to cause them to be bitter towards you and it, it maybe it wasn't even your your fault so to speak um but because of this this uh unpredictable sometimes the effects that our words can have on people because we don't know what they're thinking we don't know what they know we don't know what's in their past all of these things like that that fire sometimes you don't know what's going to start a fire right yeah it's a uh, it's we need we are only responsible for our own heart actions and our own words and we need to try to speak truth in love um but we're and like you said we need to be empathetic and to pursue effective and understanding and graceful communication but then it, even if we say something in in truth or in grace and it sparks something in somebody else's mind we're not per se responsible for their experience and that's when we need to get to know try to understand each other better and maybe some follow-up questions it's just you're making me really think about communication differently um, and what what my role in it is what another person's role as the listener is and it's uh, always something to learn huh hmm. yeah I'm I'm I don't know if I've applied that to James before. So that's, it's been an interesting little thought process yeah. right now too. <laughs> I like it. So because this podcast is called Every Story Written and we like to rede redeem literature here, this episode would be incomplete if we didn't dip into literature of some kind. So I asked Ellie to share one of her favorite poems with us. And like a good linguist, she refused to play favorites. But she did share one that she thought would be good for this episode. And I'm going to ask her to read it right after um, I read something. So this poem is actually taken from an excerpt from On Fairy Stories by J.R.R. Tolkien. Good old Tolkien. And this is the quote that precedes his poem that he wrote. To many, fantasy, the sub-creative art, which plays strange tricks with the world and all that is in it, combining nouns and redistributing adjectives has seemed suspect, if not illegitimate. To some, it has seemed at least a childish folly, a thing only for peoples or persons in their youth. As for its legitimacy, I will say no more than to quote a brief passage from a letter I once wrote to a man who described myth and fairy story as lies. Though to do him justice, he was kind enough and confused enough to call fairy story making breathing a lie through silver. So that was the intro paragraph to this poem that um, Ellie's going to read right now. Dear sir, I said, although now long estranged, man is not wholly lost nor wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned and keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build gods and their houses out of dark and light, 
and sowed the seed of dragons, twas our right used or misused. That right has not decayed. We make still by the law in which we're made. Wow, that is such a beautiful poem. That's like the 12th time I've read it and it's just, it's just beautiful each time. Uh, all right, Ellie, your first impressions of this poem and how we can um, pick it apart to languages, diff to, the, to the different elements of language, I guess. Mm. Well, I guess what strikes me is, um, and this is a, a theme of Tolkien's is, um, he is, by the way, I was, I mentioned to Stephanie, he is a linguist, very like a strong linguist. That was his whole thing, aside from writing. Um, and he, a lot of his stories came out of like his linguistic study. And so wow. it's, it's quite important. I mean, when you read The Lord of the Rings, you know that like he wrote an entire language for the elves. Like that's, that isn't, he made a language. Um, and he based it on like actual linguistic principles that he was finding and all of this stuff. So, and he had a few other bits of languages as well. And um, so the sub creator um, is, I mean, if you read this um, paper on fairy stories, you can learn more about it, but it's the idea that um, maybe that being fruitful is part of, Part of that role is the sub creator um and that's what he's writing about that that uh sub creation is our right um and our our responsibility in fact that although we are imperfect and do not make perfect things um we have this opportunity to to glorify god in um reflecting his creative nature, I guess. Um, and words are a part of that, as we kind of talked about. Definitely. No, thank you. That's, that's beautiful. And if I'll put the link in the podcast, but you should definitely take a, a, a read of this essay. It's quite beautiful. After listening to how you were describing language, uh, I picking out just starting at the very building blocks of like phonetics and I think you call them mm. morphemes uh I, I was looking at the words disgraced and dethroned mm -hmm. so grace I guess would be the basic word and then the dis in front of that and the graced past tense mm -hmm. those would be part oh is there a, a word that you say that adds on to the basic morpheme Right. The, so grace would be the, the root um, and the ED would be kind of a, it is in a sense of past tense in this, in this case, because it's a, it's being used as a describing word for man. It's going to be like a past participle. Mm -hmm. um, and then dis would be, um, so that would be an inflectional morpheme. It's changing it so that it fits in the sentence grammatically. But dis is more of a derivational morpheme because it's changing them. It's flipping the meaning and saying it's he hasn't been graced. He's been disgraced. He's the it's a uh, a reversive morpheme, Whoa. I guess you could say. So that's a the prefix and the suffix on either side of the root. Um, gotcha. Super cool. It's and grace is such a cool word because disgraced 
we have that word in English, um, obviously, and it means, you know, a fall from glory, like you're, you're no longer um, in, in high standing, which is in, in a sense true in this poem, but he's actually written it dis hyphen graced in order to, to emphasize maybe like the grace word that's in there. Um, and I don't think he's saying like that grace has been taken away necessarily, but that um, being graced with something has been taken. Like he he's taking it back a little bit. Um, disgraced is a lexical word in English on its own. Um, it, it has its own meaning. It has a, a semantic and a pragmatic meaning you could find in the dictionary. But by kind of hyphenating the word, he's drawing more attention to the building blocks so that you think back a little bit to like, how did this word come to be? Hmm. Um, instead of what does it mean right now? But maybe what is it? Uh, how did we come to have this word in our language by starting at a, a, an earlier root? Wow, that's really cool. So what, what brilliance you can do just with a hyphen? Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I, I picked out, he goes talking about um, the refracted light through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined. So he gives you the, the imagery picture with the scientific definition of light, mm -hmm. of how um, energy in the form of a particle and a wave can mm -hmm. be refracted through a prism. Um, mm -hmm. And you just have this beautiful imagery in your head of colors and one thing becoming many. But at the same time, that word light, especially since it's capital and then capital word or capital letter white um, down below. And culturally, we associate light with good. Like, this is a good thing. Um, this is something that should be sought after. And then with darkness, we associate bad um, or evil, wickedness. So I just thought that was really cool how Tolkien was like, all right, I'm going to give you this beautiful imagery picture in your head of like light being refracted, but that's also um, how, who, when Christ, he shines through us, we, we get to show off different elements of his glory, of his goodness, mm -hmm. um, though disgraced and dethroned as we may be, uh, mm -hmm. we get to, to honor him. Um, one of that being through words and imagination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking even, he talks about with uh, living shapes, can, the light is combined in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Um, and I, that is, I mean, metaphorically, culturally, we speak of, of things moving from mind to mind, although we would say that's not really what's like happening. Um, but it's as, a, as sub creators, I guess I'm thinking about like how we're, um, we have the privilege of creating things, even with our words, with imagination. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, imagine comes from image. It's, it's, you're creating an image with your mind maybe, but in order to say anything, to, to put that in someone else's mind, because it's not real, you have to speak it. You have to um, you know, speak it into existence in a okay. sense. Um, you can't create it by just talking, but you can produce it in their mind by just talking. Um, and that's such a cool thing. Like, there's this uh, in semantics and pragmatics, you often talk about like the paradigms um, 
and uh, not paradigms, what's the word? Um, prototypes. When you talk about, when you say the word bird, bird. Your, proto your prototype is typically for most people, especially like in America, is going to be something like a sparrow or a robin. That's what you think when you hear bird. Um, but we know that penguins are birds, ostriches are birds. But if you say a bird, I saw a bird today. <laughs> No one's thinking, oh, she saw a penguin today. Amazing. <laughs> you know? um, maybe that's, maybe that's too. <laughs> not the assumption they're going to make unless you right. said it was a penguin. <laughs> um, but so even to, to imagine something and then try to speak it into someone else's mind, you have to start with those prototypes. You would say it was it was like a bird, except it had this and this and this. So you have to you have to refer to something real so that they have somewhere to start with. Mm. And then you can you can cancel assumptions and say it it was like a bird, except it had a had teeth or you know, whatever it was. Whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> Crazy. So that's I I don't know what I, that came from a line about shapes moving from mind to mind. But just that um language is such a tool for for imagining and creating in a sense for someone else something that isn't real yeah I think what she just said plays into Tolkien's point of the essay of and even in this poem he mentions elves and goblins and dragons um, of how when we creatively uh, speak air quote things into each um imagination that didn't even make sense as a sentence sorry i think it does okay. I, I got it that's all that matters that's all that, that you matters created the right cognitive effects <laughs> you made an assumption <laughs> we're communicating um that the whole point of his essay is that he's he's taking Tolkien and the use of fantasy in general is you can take things of your reality and you can apply it to this beautiful made-up world and it makes sense and it opens your mind up um, and you can empathize with elves and dwarves and these creatures that don't even exist uh, because there is meaning uh, behind it. And yeah, it, read the essay, it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should reread it, it's been a couple of years. So I've, I've read it a few times, but it always, always hits. Indeed, in the way Tolkien can. So I guess my last question to wrap up the, the interview today uh, is, Ellie, how can people learn more about Bible translation and um, Pioneers Ministry and just get more interested in words in general? So as far as getting more interested in words, I suppose if you haven't studied a language recently, do that. Um, find like the best resource that's like culturally engaged as you can because the context matters um bible translation is um still a huge need in our world there are um 128 million people in over 1600 languages that have zero bible at all wow um 1.5 billion don't have a full bible um and most of these people are unreached um, 
but we know that God cares about people hearing the word in their own language because there was this thing that happened called Pentecost <laughs> where <laughs> he did not require all of the people that were there to learn uh, whatever they were speaking, uh, Greek, Aramaic. I, I'm not well versed in all of this, but they um, he didn't require them all to learn that in order to hear the gospel. He was like, hey, you guys all speak new languages right now. Um, and the people were like, they're talking they're speaking our language <laughs> that that meant something to them and I'm learning more and more from um working on my project that even my the people group I'm working with they have the bible in related languages um some of them are like intelligible to them they can they've been using a Kinyarwanda translation for decades um however it turns out there are tons of words that they thought they understood and they just don't. <laughs> they mean the opposite thing or a totally absurd thing in their language. And they've been teaching that as this is what the, the Bible says oh, no. because they're reading their Bible and that's what it says. Um, and so they've, they've realized like how important it is to um, create a translation that speaks to them and um is not foreign to them as well and so they don't have to learn french to read a good translation or something um there that shouldn't be a barrier to, <laughs> to hearing the word of god is learning an entire language right um so the bible is available in about 700 languages currently and there are about 7,000 on earth i believe um wow. depending on how you count so we don't have to put it in every single one, thankfully, but there are still, like I said, over a hundred million people who have absolutely nothing that they can read um, or listen to. So, um, so I would recommend if you can find some way to um, engage with the Bible translation, um, whether that's, whether you're going to go ahead and get a linguistics degree and join a project or if you just want to um, find someone to support um, more and more they're um, doing mother tongue translation where they train speakers of the language to do the translation um, but that of course needs people to to go and explain how to use programs and how to um, how to do good translation and then to check it and consult on it and all of that so um, there's, there's plenty of ways to serve, um, and there's plenty of, like, just administrative things, or, um, Bible translators may need teachers for their kids, however you can, um, if you're interested in missions, and you, um, maybe you don't have any language skills at all, <laughs> some of us are blessed with that, and some of us are blessed in other ways, so um, if you're like, I'm never going to do linguistics, but I'd like to help, there are plenty of other ways that you can help Bible translators around the world. Um, so if you would like to learn more about Bible translation, um, you can go to pioneerbible.org, of course, um, and social websites, of course, for Pioneer Bible translators. Um, there's also a Pioneer um, Discovery event that's happening in Dallas, June 4th through 7th, if you're really invested in learning more. Um, 
and I'd also be happy to chat if anybody out there listening would like to talk to me. You can, I love to talk linguistics, as you can tell. So, um, <laughs> we love it. but there are also cool videos on like Pioneer's website or YouTube and tons of, of this stuff is on Wycliffe.org as well. Um, that's W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E um, or on their YouTube, I think. Um, there's some really, really great videos, a lot of them actually, of just, of people's getting their first, people groups, that's why I said peoples, mm -hmm. um, people groups getting their first Bible and they're like completed and printed and in their hands. Wow. And it's like the most beautiful celebrations you see um, because it takes decades in most cases to get an entire Bible. Um, so if you just want like a happy, happy thing to watch and cry mm -hmm. about maybe um go find a, a scripture dedication video they're wonderful definitely thank you so much ellie um for your thoughts and contributions and i for one learned a ton and uh benefited from all your studies and your passion um and learning a little bit more about bible translation as well I guess thanks for listening. Um, until next time, go out there, speak truth, and be blessed. Every story will be written soon.